This will be mostly an introduction today. And uh, actually the book of Joel is the second of what they call the 12 minor prophets. And uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, it's part of a composite book called the 12. Those are the last 12 books in our Old Testament. Now they're called the minor prophets. Uh, and we don't want to get the wrong idea there. That does not mean that they're unimportant. You know, so this is just minor prophets. Uh, the name came about because they're all shorter prophetic books. It's important to keep in mind that when we speak of the major and minor prophets, these terms are not to, meant to convey any thought of how important the books are. Many of the greatest statements in the Old Testament are found in the shorter prophetic books. For instance, the statement, the just shall live by faith, or the righteous shall live by faith, is in the little book of Habakkuk. And as we shall see as we go through Joel in the weeks to come, one of the main teachings in the New Testament concerning the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and understanding that has to do, or it came from this little book of Joel. So since it's a shorter book, I hope you all will read through it again and again over the next few weeks. Or listen to it, I, I thought to say listen to it on tape, but that dates me. So however, whatever kind of little device you have <laughs> to... to uh, listen to the scriptures on, listen to it. It just takes about 10 or 15 minutes. There's three chapters, and uh, really, you'll, I believe that you'll get a lot more out of what we're going to look at if you read it on your own through the week and ask God to be showing you truths from this uh, really incredible little book of Joel. My purpose for studying Joel is first of all so that we will come to some understanding of what the book teaches. But I also hope to gain that we can gain some insight into how to read the prophetic books just in general. There's some things we can glean from, from reading Joel and trying to understand it that will help us. And one of the things I'd say right off the bat here is that Joel is primarily a book of poetry. Now, we don't normally think about that when we're reading through the scriptures. I mean, we know that some of the books, like Psalms, maybe, are, are poetry. But one-third of the Old Testament is written in poetry. We don't recognize that because we're not reading it in the Hebrew, where we can recognize that poetic structure. But uh, it's important to recognize, recognize that because we, read, we should read it a little bit differently. It means that uh, it'll take some special understanding to get a good grip of uh, this type of literature, this type of writing. Now, normally when we think of poetry, we think of something that rhymes. Well, Hebrew poetry, didn't, by and large, didn't rhyme. It didn't have so much to do with the, the uh, sounds of, of words. It had to do 
with the thought structure. There was a certain th thought structure that uh, was demonstrated in, in Hebrew poetry. And uh, just to show you what we're talking about here, I said that it was m mostly poetry, but if you turn over to chapter 3 and look down, now if you have a Bible like mine, uh, you, may, you may not see this in your Bible, but most Bibles today, most modern translations, format uh, the words differently for the parts that are in poetry and the parts that are in prose. And in chapter 3, verses 4 through 8 are prose. They're not poetry. The rest of, uh, the rest of Joel is poetry. That's why it's formatted, why it's set in differently. Uh, that's just a way of, for us who are reading it in English to see there's something different here. This was prose, this is poetry. So by and large, again, we're say, uh, I've said that uh, Joel is poetry. It's in poetic form. Uh, again, this is a trait of the Hebrew prophets. Their writings were often a mixture of prose and poetry. And so it helps us to understand the prophetic books to recognize that distinction because the prophetic portions often make extensive use of things like metaphors, imagery, parallelisms, typology, and other forms of figurative speech. And if you don't know what those things are, we're going to talk about them in the future. Uh, try to give, <clears throat> give it a little more. <clears throat> understanding of some of these things that are <clears throat> unique to Hebrew poetry. And some of this we'll be kind of learning together because some of this is <clears throat> new for me also. Why did the prophets speak this way? Why did they use poetry? <clears throat> well, I think it's, for one thing, it can be a very powerful way of presenting truth provocative, powerful way of communicating. It can also aid in memorization, which was important in the ancient world as a means of passing on the information from one generation to another. But as we shall see, poetry is not the most straightforward form of speech, which means that we have to kind of switch gears a little bit when we're reading it to understand it, <clears throat> at least so we don't misread it and uh, misapply it or abuse it. So I'm just, these are all introductory things here, but I thought it would be good to <clears throat> mention some of them before we get really into the scripture section. Also, in order to uh, understand particular prophecy, it's helpful to know the historical setting in which it is giving, given. So that takes some extra work. <clears throat> it takes some research, you might say, sometimes to understand the historical setting. They're not, uh, you're not going to get all you can get out of the... Uh, book of Joel just by reading through it one time. Not all things are obvious on the surface. Let me just read what a man named Gordon Fee, who wrote a book called How to Read the Bible, said. 
He said the prophetic books require time and study. People often approach these books casually, as if a surface reading through the writings of the prophets will yield a high level of understanding. This cannot be done with school textbooks, and it does not work with the prophets either. In part because so many of these oracles are in poetry, but mostly because they spoke in historical, cultural, and political settings that are different from ours. So, just as an example, most of us probably are not too familiar with a plague of locusts. A plague of locusts. I mean, if I said to the children, what's a plague of locusts? Now, if I said to the adults, they'd have some idea maybe, but we're talking about a lot of grasshoppers or plowshares. We might not be too familiar with plowshares or pruning hooks. I actually had that one wrong in my mind. Just to show you, I'll just tell you how dumb I am. For, <laughs> Uh, pruning hook, for some reason, I had in my mind that this was something ladies used when they knit or something. <laughs> I know it's dumb, but some of you guys are dumb too. <laughs> pruning hook was a metal hook that they would use to prune trees with. You could pull the branches, cut the branches off. Or you might not know what the Valley of Jehoshaphat is. So I'm just saying, you know, there's things here that we've got to think about and study and, and uh, maybe do a little extra research on if we're going to understand what's going on in the book of Joel. So a right understanding of the scriptures, especially the prophetic scriptures, will not come to the lazy or the lackadaisical. We'll often need to apply ourselves in a determined, dedicated, diligent manner if we're going to get what God would want us to get from his word. This is what the writer of the Proverbs says. He says, My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, that sounds like you really want help and understanding. Cry for discernment. Lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of the holy. So what, what's he saying? He's saying we, we need to think, we need to study, we need to meditate, we need to search out, we need to cry for discernment. We need, we need to go out the scriptures like we're digging for treasure. Silver, searching for buried treasure. Paul told Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman, a workman who does not need, who not, does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. It takes work to handle accurately the word of truth. And that's not just for the pastor. That's for everybody. We've got to dig in here. Uh, we'll actually get into some controversial areas and perhaps things that uh, you've not thought about before as we go through Joel. So may we all be like the Bereans who examine the scriptures daily. Daily. They dug into the scriptures 
to see whether these things are so. If we get into something that maybe you, you hadn't heard before or hadn't thought about or thought different, dig in. See if these things are so. Well, that was kind of a long introduction, but we do want to dig in here to the scriptures now. And so we're going to read chapter 1 of Joel, and I'm going to have Jim Kelly come up and read that uh, to us here. So, Jim. This is Joel chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it and let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. What the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake, drunkards, and weep. And wail, all you wine drinkers, on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has made my vine a waste and my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. Wail like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The field is ruined, the land mourns. For the grain is ruined, the new wine dries up, fresh oil fails. Be ashamed, O farmers. Wail, O fine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine dries up, and the fig tree fails. The pomegranate, the palm also, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field dry up. Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. Gird yourself with sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day... For the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. He has not, has not food been cut off before our eyes? 
gladness and joy from the house of our God. The seeds shrivel under their clods. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down, for the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan. The herd of cattle wander aimlessly because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, for the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. So, Joel. That uh, name Joel is used over ten, for ten different people in the Old Testament. Um, but this is a particular Joel. This is a son of Pethuel. Now, he's an otherwise unknown Israelite prophet and he was a prophet mainly to the southern kingdom. His name means Jehovah is God. Joel, Joel from Jehovah, and El from God. So it's the Lord is God or Jehovah is God. Joel. <clears throat> Apparently, God did not think it was all that important or necessary for us to know much about this prophet because we don't. Um, and this book is not about Joel. It's about God's government, governance of the world. And it's about the day of the Lord. That little phrase, the day of the Lord, is one of the keys to the book. It's used five times in this short little book. And I want to give those to you. If you mark in your Bible, you could maybe put a little dot by these references because this is something as you read through in the weeks to come, and it'll be good to note those and, and try to understand what he's talking about when he's talking about the day of the Lord. So it's chapter 1, verse 15, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 11, chapter 2, 31, chapter 3, verse 14, and chapter 3, verse 18. In this first chapter, Joel tells of a terrible and very destructive locust plague that had come upon Judah. He describes this plague of locusts in great detail as if it were a mighty nation invading Judah. Few commentators consider this whole description of locusts a symbolic, as symbolic of an invading army. Most commentators see this description of locusts as an actual historical event which Joel uses as a means of warning the people of judgment to come by a foreign invasion, a foreign army, if they persist in their rebellion, their sin, and their breaking of God's covenant. 
how these people specifically broke the covenant of God is not mentioned in Joel. Other prophets in the Old Testament often enumerate the sins of the people. Those would be things like injustice, especially injustice to the poor, the widow. Uh, Idolatry is always a big source of problem for the uh, professing people of God in, in the Old Testament. Empty religion is mentioned often. Embracing the evils of the surrounding nations. I'm just saying these are common themes that are brought up in the prophets uh, concerning uh, the Jewish people and uh, the sin of the Jewish people. But Joel simply says they must return to the Lord with all their heart. If you just skip over to chapter 2, we'll get to this maybe next week. But just to show you, this is about as uh, specific as he gets uh, related to what sin he's talking about. So chapter 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. So they've turned away from God. Uh, I'm sure he could have mentioned specific sins, but he actually went to the heart of the matter which is the fact that their hearts were not right with God. I mean, that's what it always gets down to eventually. You can mention all the specifics of sin in a person's life or in a nation, but ultimately it comes down to this. Their hearts are not right with God. So he just goes to the heart of the matter and says, the matter is your heart. And that's uh, what he wants to deal with. They had an outward religion, but their hearts were far from God. And God was bringing judgment in order to show them their need to return to him. In other words, Joel saw this natural phenomena of a plague of locusts. And I might also add, you might have noticed it in verse 20, there apparently at the same time there was a drought. So you had this plague of locusts and the water brooks are dried up, he says in, in verse 20. So a plague of locusts and drought coming upon the land at the same time. And, and Joel sees this as a manifestation of the wrath of God upon his professing people because of their sin. And it was such an overwhelming plague of locusts that he says there's been nothing like it in the past. It's a unique event. It was something that the people of Joel's day were to tell their descendants about. But more than that, They were to repent before it was too late and a much worse judgment would come upon them uh, except they repent. In other words, Joel was using this as a means to show these people that God was angry because of their sin and they had to turn back or much worse would come upon them. Let's just listen to some of the words he uses here. In verse 5, he says, Awake, wake up, you people. Verse 8, he says, Wail. He gives an example of a virgin uh, girded with sackcloth because the bridegroom of her youth has been taken away. Uh, the sadness, the wailing that would be involved in something like that. Well, he says, This is the way you should feel because of what you 
because of your sin. He says in verse uh, 11, be ashamed. And verse 13, gird yourself with sackcloth. That was a, a sign of mourning and, and sorrow. Gird yourself with sackcloth. Um, verse 14, consecrate a fast and proclaim a solemn assembly. All this calamity, you see, was coming upon him, this locust plague and this drought, as a forerunner, as a harbinger of the coming day of the Lord, he talks about in verse 15, which would bring even greater destruction upon this unfaithful people. Alas, verse 15, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. So they're already experiencing this destruction of the plague, but he says there's more coming unless you turn back to God. It's not going to get better. It's not going to go well for you. What Joel is doing here is trying to get across to these people the seriousness of sin. How serious their sin is and how they need to deal with it seriously. Why is sin serious? The main reason is this. It separates us from God. What can be more serious than be, than be separated from God? Well, he, he might have kind of picked up that he directs these exhortations to specific groups in the Jewish society. Verse 5, the drunkards. Verse 11, farmers and vine dressers. Verse 13, the priests. Verse 14, the elders. But they are simply representative of the nation as a whole. He actually is calling the whole nation to repentance. You see that in verse 2. Hear this, you elders, and listen all inhabitants of the land. And you see it again in verse 14, the last part of verse 14. Consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. So although he mentions specific people that are affected by this plague of locusts and this drought, he says this is for everybody. The nation is in bad shape because of sin. So we'll talk more about this day of the Lord Lord willing, the next time, because it is one of the most frequent terms, not just frequent in Joel, but frequent in the prophets, and it's really good to get a handle on how we should understand that. Um, Right now, though, I want to show just a brief video of what a plague of locusts is like. Um, They still have these in the Middle East and various places in the world not as severe as what Joel was talking about here. This was an extremely terrible plague. Joel says, Has anything like this happened in your days or in the days or in your father's day? In fact, he says, Tell your sons about it. Let your sons tell their sons and the sons the next generation. This is a, a significant event. But we can get a little feel for what it would have been like by seeing some some video here of what they look like today. So uh, these are three, just three short clips that I put together, or actually my son David did, to, to uh, 
show us what we're talking about when we're talking about this plague that uh, Joel was talking about. Triggered by the rains, an all-devouring army. Locusts. Millions emerge from eggs buried in the sand, gathering into columns which may stretch for 10 kilometers. At this stage, they can't fly, only hop, but it doesn't hinder their progress. These sweeping hordes devastate any fresh growth in their path. After five weeks of steady munching, the infantry becomes airborne. These breeding swarms can cover up to 80 kilometers a day, but only while the food and moisture last. For three quarters of an hour, a giant swarm of locusts about 15 kilometers long crosses Madagascar's National Route 7. This road is normally popular with tourists who come for the breathtaking views. But today they're observing a natural disaster, a plague of locusts which has already destroyed half of the island's crops. They can create a lot of damage. They eat the pastures and then also the rice and the corn, which is about to be harvested. The swarm travels with the wind. It's the most energy-saving way of flying. Following the flow of wind means that they're always heading toward areas of low pressure, places where wind meets rain and vegetation starts to grow. As they fly, swarms join up with other swarms to form gigantic plagues several billion strong and as much as 40 miles wide. They will consume every edible thing that lies in their path. This is one of planet Earth's greatest spectacles. It's rarely seen on this scale, and it won't last long. Once the food has gone, the steady roar of a billion beating locust wings will once again be replaced by nothing more than the sound of the desert wind. couple things to point out from those clips. One, um, you might have noticed that the narrator uses terms similar to what Joel used. He talks about an invading army um, and uh, the, the invasion. Uh, so without realizing it, he's using biblical terms there. The other is you saw the difference 
between uh, the creeping locust and the swarming locust. It mentions these different types of locusts here. Uh, there's kind of a debate whether he's talking about different types of locusts, you know, species of locusts, or if it's different stages. I tend to think it's more different stages of the locust uh, life, where at one point they just creep, another point they, they can fly and swarm. So anyway, that those are a couple things that come out from that uh, video. But you get a little feel for what a devastation it could be to be in something like this. And this devastating plague of locusts was a wake-up call to the nation that they needed to repent of their sin or much worse would come upon them from the judgment of God. What this worse judgment that Joel was talking about is, what, what was he predicting? Well, that brings us to one of the difficulties concerning the book of Joel. It's hard to date the book of Joel. Many commentators think Joel was one of the earlier prophets speaking before the time of the invasion of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. The Assyrians uh, invaded the northern kingdom in 722. The Babylonians invaded the southern kingdom in 586. So if he's talking about, he's talking about this invasion of locusts as a prelude to a worse invading, invading army. Well, if it was prior to the uh, Assyrians and Babylonians, then that would fit very well of what was just about to happen. But other commentators think that, that uh, this book was actually written after that. So then it would be some other invasion. Um, so like I say, that this is one of the problems with the book of Joel is we don't know exactly how to date it. I tend to go along with the view that this was written somewhere in the 6th century, and if that's the case, 6th century B.C., and if that's the case, it was the prophesied destruction would be the invasion of the Babylonians of the, of the southern kingdom. Uh, when the Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple, uh, took the, many of the Jewish people captive, the Babylonian captivity, that it's called. Uh, but... We can't be dogmatic about this um, because it's just not, there's no clear time indicators in the book itself. Usually in the prophetic books, you have some indication of when it was written because there's a name of a specific king or some datable, well-known event. For instance, in the book of Isaiah, you might remember, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Well, we can date that. We know when King Uzziah was alive, so we got an idea of when Isaiah was written. But there's nothing like that in Joel. There's no king mentioned. So it's a little harder to know for sure when it was written. I wanted to read you what John Calvin said about this problem, the problem of understanding uh, when it was written. As there is no certainty... It is better to leave the time in which he taught undecided. And as we shall see, this is of no great importance, for the import of his doctrine is evident, though his time is obscure and uncertain. He said we can learn a lot. We can learn what God wants us to learn from this, even if we can't date this. God saw fit not to let us be able to nail that down. So obviously it's not that absolutely necessary for us to know when it was written, we can still 
glean the great doctrines that were taught in this book without a date. One doctrine that's clear from what we've looked at so far is this reality of the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of sin, especially amongst God's people. God had warned them way back when they had entered the land that violating his covenant would bring judgment. In fact, one of the judgments he mentions was locusts. Clear back when they first entered the land. He said there's a whole chapter uh, on blessings and curses back in Deuteronomy 28. And he said this, If you will not obey the Lord your God, all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. You shall bring out much seed to the field, but you shall gather little, for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant and cultivate vineyards, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall devour them. So just well, that's just one area that he warned them, and here's, here it's happening. They were sinning, and God sent these locust plague. So one thing that's crystal clear, you don't have to know the date of Joel to know this, that sin is serious and judgment is certain. Sin is serious and judgment is certain. But as we shall see when we continue here in Joel, if people will humble themselves and turn back to God, He's more than willing to forgive and restore them, which is another great doctrine that's in this book, um, brought out very clearly by Joel. We'll see that in in the future. There can be wonderful restoration for a truly repentant person or nation. God is a just and holy God, but he's also a gracious God and willing to forgive. As God said to Solomon, When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain. There is a drought here also. Or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among the people. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's a famous verse, but that's the context is given in the area of drought and plague and that type of thing. Uh, Locus said, if you just turn to me, turn, return to me. God always hears a repentant heart. Isn't that wonderful? God always hears a repentant heart. But he's always opposed to a proud, arrogant, selfish, self-centered person or nation. I might just put a little aside here. What's that say concerning our nation right now? It's true that these words that we're reading here in Joel were written to a people under the Old Testament theocracy, and that system is no longer in force anywhere in the world. Yet it also remains true that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. It surely remains true that self-righteousness, arrogance, a self-satisfied person, or nation that will not repent displeases him. This is Proverbs 14.34, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. 
and we'll look at this more next time, just how that applies to the nations today. What I hope we'll see here as we go on in the book of Joel is just the overall emphasis, which has to do with the government of God, the grace of God, and the glory of God, if you want to remember it that way with the three G's. The government of God, the grace of God, and the glory of God. Joel, like so many of the prophets, saw things that were taking place in his day, this locust plague, as part of the righteous judgment of God, righteous government of God. But he also saw a more serious manifestation of God's righteous wrath looming on the horizon, something about to take place, this soon coming day of the Lord. And then on top of that, he speaks of the day of the Lord that seems to be far, far in the future, a final manifestation of God's government of this world. In other words, when Joel looked at the things going on around him, he saw the activity of God. He saw the government of God. Beyond that, God allowed him to see something of the divine judgment of sin that was imminent, soon to take place, unless they repent. And beyond that, looking far in the distance, God allowed him to see something of the final end of sin in this world. So you have the whole panorama of history. This, see, this is amazing. Here you have a prophet back in the 6th century or sometime in that area looking at what's going on there as a judgment of God, the government of God, then saying, soon, this is going to bring the day of the Lord coming soon. And then he talks about something far in the future yet. All right there in Joel. But, again, not all in the book of Joel is doom and gloom. In the midst of wrath, Joel sees that God may yet remember mercy. He sees both the grace of God and the glory of God for those that will turn to him. And we'll examine this as we go further in the book. So let me just summarize here a little of what we've learned about reading the prophetic books. First, we learned that the prophets often speak and write in poetry, a poetic form which means we must take special care in interpreting these words. You know, poetry is different than prose, and there's lots of... If you read poetry the way you, you read prose, you're going to get in trouble. You won't, it won't make sense. You'll misinterpret it. We learned that it's important to try to understand the setting and the culture of the time in which the prophecies were written. That's what we should always try to do that. And that take, sometimes that takes some outside reading to get a little help uh, from a commentary uh, or history book related to that time period just to understand the culture and what some of the things they're talking about meant that we don't talk about today. Uh, but we also learned that sometimes we will not be able to pin down some of the details for certain. We will have to leave a few loose ends loose uh, unless God gives them more insight. But that doesn't mean we can't still glean great truths from these portions, from what's being presented. 
We saw that the prophetic scriptures often had an immediate situation that the prophet was dealing with and then an imminent or near future application to what was being said and then far beyond that a long-term, you might say, final application. Uh, I put it this way, current, close, and consummation. Another way of trying to remember something with alliteration. Current, what was going on right then. Close, what was soon going to happen. And then uh, way in the future, the consummation of of the whole uh, prophetic picture related to the government of God. So, again, we'll deal with this threefold aspect of prophecy more next time. The main thing I hope we take away from this first time in Joel is that it will take considerable effort to get all we should from the prophetic writings. Meager effort will produce meager results. If you put little in, you're going to get little out. But if you dig in, like you're looking for treasure, you get some treasure. We must search the word as if we knew there was great wealth there, because there is. So next time, we'll look more closely at the subject of how God judges nations and also try to get a good grasp of how to understand the biblical teaching concerning the day of the Lord. And I just, again, will ask you, please read through Joel. It takes 10 or 15 minutes. Read through it a number of times before we get together next time. Play, and as you do that, pay special attention to that little phrase, the day of the Lord. Uh, if you didn't get those references down, uh, come see me afterward because it will help you to, to uh, in your study here.